Welcome back, Rabbi Dr. Eliezer Brat. It's a pleasure to have you. We begin something new. Not that we are completely forgetting about Rabbi Chaim. We're going to get back to more of his farm. But now we're going to focus on what we are learning currently. Seches Kittin and Rabbi Brat wants to discuss controversies. Not one, not two, not three. I believe four different get controversies that have taken place over the centuries. And today we're going to begin with one that took place in the 1560s in Italy called the Tamari Ventruzo Get. Looking forward to hearing all about this. He's going to try to keep this short and sweet. People like when they hear controversy, just get to the action, cut to the chase. So we're going to try to do that. But obviously to understand it and appreciate it, we got to get the context. We are very grateful to our sponsor who is dedicating this episode as a zechus for Rafur Shalema. For our Victor Binyamin Ben Peril from it, any learning and any Torah knowledge that comes out of this episode and perhaps inspires you to do more Torah learning should be a Zchusifu Shalema again for our Victor Binyamin Ben Peril from it. And once again, Rabbi Brat, if you stay tuned until the end, we'll turn around, spin his chair around, pull out a safer from that pile and introduce us to a safer that occupies some space in that room of his. Rabbi Brock, how are you today? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Okay, so where do we start and where are we going? Okay, so we're going to try to make a little seder in this very complex controversy. This basically is a controversy. We're going to learn that took place in the 1560s in Italy. It seemed to have rocked all, all of Italy, the, the rabbis, and everyone heard about it, as we'll see how they heard about it. And eventually it gets out. The G'daylim outside of Italy are also called in to offer their opinions. And some of the Chuvas also will be mentioned briefly in this discussion. It has many important ramifications, which we definitely will not be able to get into today. But we hope just to mention, to outline some of the different issues and what, of some of the story, what happened. Okay. So basically, there's a story which takes place. A fellow... Gets married, not get. He gets married. He he offers kedushin to a girl, Tamar, Tamar Tamari, actually, and her father was Yosef Haraifa Tamari, and he's his name is Shmuel Ventruzo. Okay, these are the names of the this is the cast of characters of the three people. Now the girl. Tamari is not really, um, Tamar Tamari is not really discussed all that much. We don't really hear from her in the story exactly what happens, what she, what, if she even says anything, not, there's a little bit mentioned about her in this whole story. Okay, fine. Now, so first like this, there's a story. So now before the story, we have to know is how do we know about the story? Because the story ends up in, in the 1560s, takes a lot of ink, even in the 1560s, was written at the time, immediately, in law, live, so to speak, if we had internet of those days, this was the internet, as we're going to see the story plays out, it's, this is how, if there would have been an internet in those days, this is how it took place in those days, a controversy. So like this, first I'm going to say the story, what happened, very briefly, and then we'll get back to different details as we go along. Okay, so first, the characters... Is his father. We mentioned Yosef Tamari, he's the father. So he was born in 1520 and he's a doctor. He seems to be a wealthy person at, at least certain points in his life. And he's well connected. He's well connected with Jews, seems to be a prominent member in his in his community. And 
he has a daughter. His daughter is Tamar. Fine. Now, this, the chassan is Shmuel. It seems his father was a rav. In some of the documents, it sounds like his father was chassid, which is not used unless someone is extremely chashiv. From this story, it seems that Shmuel was a learned person. Um, we even see that he had, docu- um, seems comes up in the documents, he had Sifre Kabbalah. Um, so a youngster learning Kabbalah in those days, it seems like he was an educated fellow. And from this whole story, he's definitely not a pushover because we're going to see that he publishes three Svarim and different other materials to defend himself in this, uh, what happens. Okay. Now, what happens is like this. In 19, in not 19, sorry, in 1560, there's an Arison. And in order to, and we don't have to, we'll, we'll quote basically how he describes what happened. Who's he? Shmuel. And then we'll describe Shmuel. This is the person who's, who's the main character, one of the two main characters. He puts out a book. And in the book, he's defending himself. So he writes out the story. It might be worthwhile just giving a drop of background that Arison is not what happens today. Right. Like oh, oh, about to. Excellent. No, no, no. Perfect. Right now, that's an excellent question. That is the first question that one must ask as soon as I read the next few lines. And you'll see exactly why what you just brought up is beyond important. Um. Okay, so Bekitzer, it says like this, Chibur, in one of the first, um, it's a book that this Shmuel puts out, where he's defending his side of the story, which we're about to see. He says what happens. So there was in 1560, Ani from Venezia, I had a Shidduch with a girl named Tamar, her father of the daughter of the Raifa, Rabbi Yosef Tamar. Fine. So there was Venasu ben Chaisni uveni shnei shtaris bekinyan sudar veshvua alanadunya misach sheish mois dukti umasayim bemalbushim vetachshitim vaitzeti leshalish hashanim kaidim anasun veshana achas lachreim veshar tnoim al signon achar echol kinahug venasam biyad kol chelik imenu echamehem. So basically, it was a a whole process of with promises of money, shtarais about this was given that he's going to be mashad, he's being mashadich with this girl, with kinyanim over here, which these are all important factors, and basically, fine. And she was this girl was a gedola at the time, also a very important point. Um, it was midaita says Shmuel veritzaina, she wanted it. And he also vegam nosati savloinus la rusasi. He gave her savloinus, which is a sugya well known relates to a well known sugya in kedushin. Okay, so now it seems like there was a um, full fledged um, it's a full fledged arison with money passing hands, stars, promises, and all these types of things. And what's significant is. In a, in a later document that the Shmuel publishes, he adds in, it was done in front of a Yid Meisha Basala. Meisha Basala, he was, he was the Kilu, was, it wasn't a Kedushin, but he was the person that was watching all this going down, making sure the Shtaris is all right and everything. Now, what's significant is, it's not, there's no Chasana happening yet. Now, and this is what's important about the story. Because first, there's no Chasana, so what's the big deal? They, they back, someone backs out, so who cares? So it ha- and what happens is a few months later the father says he's not interested he he want he tells a, he tells this guy fly a kite 
He's not interested in the in in the next part of the process happening. Perhaps you'll get to this, but the way you read over that document, it was one person what happened in front of. Don't we need Adem to effectuate a proper right. solution? Right. So, right. So it's, right. So it sounds like from the way it's described in um, with Ramesh Basilo in the later place, it was done properly with Adem, legitimate stars. No one's denying that this happened. There's no denial on both sides of the fight. This is not where the fight is. The question is, before we get anywhere, so so first of all, uh, point number one, the father-in-law basically says, I don't want him to be my son-in-law. The whole thing is goodbye, Charlie. Okay. So so, but bef- um, so now, ac- accordingly, that will mean is he needs a get. Why does he need a get? It's, it's automatically assumed from all the literature, and that's what everything happens, is he doesn't want to give a get, and the father-in-law wants him to give a get. Why is it what happened over here that requires a get? So this goes back to your question, which is at the heart of this topic. It seems not everyone did this, especially not at this time already, but originally, way, way back, when you learn Gemara, and Dafyemi Tsuvis Lamashal comes up more, is that there's the Suin, there's Aris, and there's different steps. And some parts, there was a, there could have been a few, sometimes even years between different parts. So someone's a, there's a Arus, a lady could be, a, she's there's an Arisin, and then a Suin happens much later. So from it seems like in Italy, one understanding of the people that learned through these documents is that there was an Arisin, a full-fledged halachic Arisin, and in order for it to be abolished, it needs a get. That's one way you had to understand the, um, this story. But, but the, you see, the main point of the story is is the get. Everyone assumes he has a get. He needs a get, and what's going on with the get? That's what the really the controversy is. This part of the story is no controversy, so it's no real clear thing. You just have to like read between the lines what's happening. Another possibility is I, I said he gave savloinus. So these presents, this also causes a great controversy in Masechtas Kedushin already, um, which is if someone's engaged to someone, then you give the, the savlonis, it might be already an act of Kedushin. Does, does it play out? So that, some there is one academic that he seems to think that that's what triggered the story. But it, it's clear that that's not really what happened. It seems basically this was a case of an Arison, that she was engaged, but there was shtaris done in front of this gadol with money promised, money handed over, and all the different documentation. Okay, so this is the, this is the first step of the story. Fine. Now, so what happens? So basically, it sounds like he's not in the, the shver, even before anything happens, he's not interested in his future son-in-law. Fine. And basically, what happens is four years pass, and there's no—we don't know anything that's happening from 1560 till about 1564. So what you're saying is, right now we have no idea if the reason why he doesn't want his son-in-law is because the son-in-law insulted him, because um, he's Meshuga. We have no idea why at this point. Right, right, right. It does, so one thing we do know, it, does, it doesn't say, which does play out in other great controversies, the son-in-law being Meshuga or something like that. No, that's not brought up at all. So that's also not, you just didn't, maybe they had a disagreement. All of a sudden, fast forward to the years 1564, Maram Padua, the Gadol Hadar of Italy at the time, it's brought to his attention, the story, and he says he needs to, he, he quotes a Gemara, a Mishnah slash Gemara slash Halacha, which ba- basically it sounds like what happened over here is, is that the father-in-law claimed bankruptcy on some level, so he doesn't have money to do his thing, and then he wasn't already interested anymore. So there's a Gemara in in the in um Ksuvis, Kufches, Amabez, Kuftes, Amad Aleph, Apaisig Mois Lechaisna, Upashala is a regel. So then the din is, I kindness, I putter. So basically is, 
either you marry her or you give a get. So even though it's not his fault, it's not anyone's fault that the guy went bankrupt, but the halacha is you can you continue with the the the, the next step after Arison, and here the Shver says he doesn't want it. It seems maybe the girl doesn't want it. We're, we're also unclear about it. So the, the the basic point was what should have happened. He he has to give a get. So the Ram Padua says you have to give a get. If you do not in X amount of days, we're putting you in cherem. Okay. Now let's let's just understand the drop over here is that he doesn't listen to the. He's put in cherem basically. He doesn't listen. And now the story continues. Now you have to understand something. Stop for one second. The Cherem in those days, uh, Reuven Bumfeld, the historian of this Kufa of Italy, um, he even has some documents in his book of the Cherem. It was a very, very serious thing. If you didn't listen to the Bezdin, you were put into Cherem. And this caused the whole... Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a pleasant experience, and it had halachic bearings. It relates back to what Dafyemi learned in my cotton a little bit about this. But it, and it's interesting is that even in the, in the 1560s, this was a powerful thing, and we know that it's even going on early after this controversy. Okay, so cherem is a serious thing, and it's being it's not a light thing. Oh, I'm putting cherem, so who cares? No, it meant something. Fine. Now, government gave the power to the G'daylim of the time, the Rabbanim cherem, so it even meant more than that. Fine. Anyway, both sides bring in the government. What does that mean? Both Yosef Tamari and Shmuel Venturzo have connections and they're using, and Archais gets involved over here and everything. And meanwhile, Gedaila Morosi getting involved. Fine. So this is, we're, we're, we're talking about is 1564. Fine. Then the story gets further, which we'll continue with the story in a moment. Now, let's just stop for a minute. And we have to understand how do we know everything that I even even what I said, how does any how do how do we know anything about this? The answer is like this. Sometimes there are controversies in in, in that become famous and they remain famous forever, however they do. This controversy at that time rocked the world. And Italy in general, there was many different controversies that were going on. And now, but how do we know about them? Maybe take 30 seconds. If I may ask you to just give us some background, what was going on in Italy in those days? People should understand. Italy wasn't just like some dareful, you know, with right, a few I was going to say right now. Excellent. Yes. Perfect. I'm going to bring that out right now as I'm explaining this. Like this. So we have Italy. Italy is not, as you said, it's not this little shtetl. It's a bunch of cities. And the cities, each city had more Jews than others. Bunch of Rabbanim, a bunch of different people. Kihilis, Ashkenazi Jews, Sephardi Jews. And there was a lot happening. And through these documents, there must be 50 Rabbanim that are signing up on taking sides in this controversy. At least 50 Rabbanim. Some of them we know almost nothing about today. Um, it's a unique situation, which is beyond the scope of today to understand why this is so, that there's so many Rabbanim in just like five, six cities. But anyway, so what happened is like this. There was four Svarim written about this controversy in those years. Three were written by, by Shmuel Ventruzo. And one was written by Yosef Tamari. Each one is documenting and collecting the chuvas of the G'daylim on to their side and to explain their side of the story from the from Barashas Bara. Each one documents this. So when you read through these documents, you could start piecing together the things. The problem is these documents are very rare. So looking around, even in the late 1800s, there's no real discussion about, um, about this controversy because no one had these farm. They were very rare. And it turns out, if you learn Chuvis, we're going to see there's a Chuvis, the Marshdam, two Chuvis, the Mabit, the Verivais, the Ravaz, 
you don't even understand the truth as the context because you don't have the svarim that they're referring to, which were these svarim that these both sides published about. Anyway, recent years, I would say already starting from the 1960s, different academics, Isaac in the history of Italy in general, Lomashal, a fellow Shimon Simpson, and Reuven Bonfield, and uh, fellow Zan, Dr. Zana, these people started piecing together all about Italy, and they tons and tons of books and literature, and there's others, academics also, and they start going through these documents very carefully, and they start to piece together the story. Then, like everything else, new discoveries come up, and comes along Yitzhak Yudalov uh, makes this discovery, a guy Ephraim Kufferberg makes this discovery, and everything, like everything else, as time goes on, more and more discoveries. The Kyrgyzha had some documents from the Red Vaz, from other people, other Gedolim at that time, and it starts showing the you start being, after you start going through the different chuvas, the story starts getting more complex, and we're going to see some of the issues shortly. There's a Yid who is very Isaac Adayayim, an expert in Hilchas Gittin, um, Tzvi Gertner. He's put out Svarim on Gittin, he's written articles in Maria and other places about Gittin, and one of the topics is, is about forced Gittin. He put out a whole safer for Aitzar Paiskin on the topic. So this topic, he also made discoveries of different documents about it, and he published it in the Maria. So even only today, in the past few years, is one could even begin to understand what happened. But these far Maria, so Baruch Hashem, there's a machon called Zichron Aaron. They've published dozens of Chuvasvarim from the 1600s, 1500s, 1600s, and onwards, and all other types of svarim. So they got a hold of these rare svarim, published them, and published some of the newer documents about them. So we have to have for them. However, there's one minor complaint that I have is that they published the svarim, they played around with the order without telling you exactly. So you, it's not always clear which side are you reading. And it's very important in this story, you need to know, am I following the Tamari side or the Ventruza side? So but they, they sort of messed it up a little, which they should have just put a page in the beginning and said what exactly that they're trying to do. They're trying to help you, but in the sometimes when you're trying to help, it gets messed up. Okay, anyway, now, so that, that's some of the background, how we know about the story. Lamashal, Ramatisios Strachon, when he talks about the way I first was introduced even to this controversy, he has a footnote listing a bunch of controversies. And one, he's talking, starting about an earlier controversy in Italy, also relating to Kedushin, Gittin, all these types of things. And then he throws in a footnote, this controversy, he says something about it. So I always knew there's such a thing. And then he says, there's another controversy in Italy that took place around these years about McVeigh's that also generated a bunch of svarim. And um, he talks about Bechlal, Machleikasin, and all these types of things. Ramazio has a beautiful piece about it. But the, but the point is, he, the way he sets it up is, there were a lot of times Machleikasin, but the Gedolim involved, they were completely, completely L'Shem Shamayim. The problem is, as we learn this topic, is, is that not always did everyone have all the, the whole story in front of them. This people are that let's say it's an, it's taking place in Italy, and then we, we write to Tsvas. There's no telephones, there's no conversations, it's a very far place to communicate. A letter, it, it takes a very long time to piece together the exact story. And we'll see Lamashal de Mabit, when he's talking about it, he sees some of the Svarim. So he comes out very sharp. On one side, and if he would have known different aspects, it's possible he would have come out differently. Okay, anyway, the point is that we have today, is probably one of the first times in, in, in the past few years that one could properly learn through the sugi, and that's what we're trying to do today, just to give a little taste of some of the issues. So, going back to our story, so number one is Khirim is a very important thing, and he's put in Khirim. Fine. 
Who's putting cherem to remind us Shmuel the Chassan? He's putting cherem because he doesn't give the get based on the sugin suvis. Now, in nineteen, in sorry, in fifteen sixty-five, Rav Shmuel Katzen who's the son of the Marami Padua, because the Marami Padua dies literally in the middle of this discussion, in the middle of this fight, and he takes over. He gets involved with his bezin, and he says, "You have five days. If you don't give a get within five days, you're in trouble." Anyway, Bekitzer, um a get is given. So you think, okay, fast forward 1565, the story's over. <laughs> it didn't even begin. What happens is, right afterwards, he says that he didn't mean to give the get. He was forced to give the get. And this is, it becomes La Yehudim Ha and literally, um, it goes crazy from there on. Okay, now, we have to backtrack for a second. A drop, and that is like this. Something's very funny. If you're looking at the dates... You you see, 1560 is the chasana, so to speak. The chasana, I don't mean that the, it is the actual chasana, but they, the erison, whatever you want to call it. And then only in 1564 is there a sort of a discussion about a get. What's going on from 1560 to 1564? And none of the svarim, both sides of the svarim, don't talk, don't say anything. It's, they're quiet. So comes along Ephraim Kofer and he says, buddy, let me tell you something. There's a Tshuva Sarama. And in the Tshuva Sarama, as I said, this is a period of time that there's a lot of controversy. So Maram Padua, who's the person who in, who he just said, he's the one who starts saying you have to bring the get, is in the middle of a fight with none other than who? Yosef Tamari. A vicious fight. And you know what happens in the fight? He puts Tamari into Khairim. So, and we learn all about this. How do we learn all about this? We don't need any historians. We don't need any academics. We have Chuvas Ramah. The Maram Padua writes a Langa Chuva to the Ramah, his cousin, his relative. It's a whole different story about it. Explaining why he's putting him Khairim, dealing with all Inyanim of Hilchus Khairim. And he's saying, fascinating, a long, long Chuva, not a one line Chuva that we have and we're deducing, you know, we're making deductions. We're talking about, it's almost 10 page Chuva, which is a pretty big Chuva for, for such a thing. The Ramah, he wants to hear if the Ramah agrees with him. Ramah says, I agree with you. And Ramah, at the end of the tshuva, says, Alashin, that this this Raifa, who, and he, they say the whole time who they're referring to, it's mamish terrible. Has he come out against the Gain Oilam Zakein Ben Shmainim Lugvura? Shekal Adam Nikram, it's like Yitamidim. Bekitzer, Yecherim is a Cherim. He's saying about the Rampadu. He was a Zakein Mufuk at the time. And now, what's that fight about? It's not about this. It's a money fight. It's, it deals with another controversy. As I said, there was tons of fights going on in Italy then. And I'm not going into that fight, but my point is, only after 1564 does he get out of the Cheir Mankilu the Shalom. So now he could go to the Ram Padua and say, my daughter, there's a story, the saga, could you come with the Eitzah for the thing? Okay, but this is a fascinating piece that not necessarily... Does everyone put together? Because this is a tshuva. Now, what's interesting is this is a tshuva that's being written in the fifteen fifty late fifteen fifties. So, everywhere and all the discussions over here is they're quoting who the Beis Yosef. When's the Beis Yosef published? Beis Yosef is only published ten years before, and you see already 
the Mayurdic impact, the Ramah is handling him, the Rampana was handling him, the Mabit, all the G'dayim, when they're talking, in this Sugya, we're going to see also in the Chubas, the Beis of this, Beis of that, and handling. So you see right away the power of the Beis of right away, the Sefer becomes very accepted. Okay, that's a side point. Anyway, so why does he stop the get? That's that's the question. What's going on over here? So, so this is, obviously, where the meat and potatoes lies, which is well above my pay grade, which is a forced get, the Sugyas in this, which is as I said, this Rabbi Gertner has a whole book about it, and there's dozens of articles about it, a very sensitive um, topic, but here we have an early tshuva about this thing. So, when you look through the documents that I said, the Svarim published on both sides, so there's different tshuvas about this. So, number one is, there's a tshuva from a Yid says here, the Gain Rav Yosef Trivush. Now, again, I said there's 50 G'daylam in this period of time that are floating around, and he has a long, long chuva saying why he was forced, and it's not a problem, and it's not a get. Mamish, a a um, 14-page chuva on the sugya. Mamish, unbelievable to see the Gemaras that are being floating floating around to show that I, the Bezdin, gave a get, and whatever. It's not a get, it was a forced get, etc., etc. Now, don't think that that's the only sheet over here. There's dozens of chuvas over here against it. So the, the kids are, you could see Kala Kula, the Hainim Sechtas Gittin being thrown at you from every possible way with three Shainim and whatever they had at that time. Handling Lumdus and all different things is being discussed heavily in this thing. He's claiming that he was forced. He had no interest in giving the get. He really wanted to go through to marriage. I, he didn't, wasn't in the greatest relationship with the Shver. Okay, it happens sometimes, um, they say. Now, the point is that what is this true? So many of the Gedalim say, no, 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 no. It's not, you can't do that. The, the get is a good get. Superstars were brought in, not only from Italy, as I said, and I'm going to quote a few brief Lashinas in a moment. Now, but it's not enough that he has a Yid. Uh, I just quoted this Rabbi Yosef um, Trivush. No one knows who he is. You need to get a, um, a, big, a big name, so to speak to back you up in such a controversy in order to have something, you know, otherwise, you, what is it, this young whippersnapper is going up against all the G'daylum of Italy. So we learn all of a sudden through the documents that a Yid, one of the G'dayle Hadar of Italy and Bechlal of the Jewish world at the time, who we today, most people never heard of him. What's his name? Rabbeinu Moshe Provenzalio. He was one of the G'dayle Hadar of Italy at the time and like I've mentioned in the past, a lot of times there could be someone that was Mamash, one of the G'dayli Adar of that Kufa, and he's forgotten about. He wrote Chuvis, and he wrote Tyrus, and he was involved with every controversy going on in Italy. He's being brought in to get involved, and he's writing... Day. But nothing is published of his Kemat. So, today... Nothing, you don't know anything about him. But already, early 1900s, they start printing different chuvas of his. And Baruch Hashem, Mechon Yerushalayim, in 1989, prints a massive chuva sefer of his. Incredible. You're seeing why this person was the Gadol Hadar, in his t- one of the Gadol Hadar of the time. We're talking about someone that knew the Beis Yosef and the Ramad. These are people that are alive at the same time. So in Italy, he's one of those superstars. He's in connection with the Beis Yosef. But as I said, life is Lebedic in those days. Sometimes he's good with the base Yosef, sometimes he's not. He's sometimes in Cherem, not Cherem. It's tumbling, tutsaching, unbelievable. But the Marshal de Mari Naim, the famous controversial work, Mari Naim, which certain Dayim were very against, he's in Italy. He knows him well. He knows Rebazarium and Adayim well. He puts the Safer, makes problems for the Safer. So, fine. But and now, 
but just understand, I'm going to quote you a klal. There's a lot of different svarim at the time. So they say, what's klali apsak for in Italy? If it's brought down from Ramesha Provencalio, we go like that. I mean, say it was a, he was so accepted by the by the later diarists of, of Italian chachamim that he was considered a superstar, and that's why I'm saying it makes significant help for this Shmuel fellow that he was able to get this person on his side. Okay, now you have to understand in this Chuva Sefer we get to see a glimpse, Mamish, a fascinating person. We're not going to go into the, in, him at this time. His Talmud, the Baal Nefutsas Yehuda, gives a Mardiga Hesper on him. And just to mention one thing, because um, we have to say at least one thing about this Yid. As I said, the Chuvas are mind blowing. Uh, unbelievable what's going on in the Chuva Sefer. What, Lamashal, another controversy going on at this time is about Kabbalah, the printing of the Zayar, should it be printed, shouldn't it be printed, everyone's weighing in, and another controversy related to this is, should one wear tefillin on Chalamite or not? So, Mekubalim held not to wear tefillin on Chalamite. So what do you think this Ramayisha has to say about it? He says like this, based on the Gemara's Yemachoyev to wear tefillin on Chalamite. He says the following language, if I wouldn't have seen it inside, I would never believe it. He says, Bekitzer, you gotta wear the tefillin, otherwise you should get beaten on Halamai. This is obviously a very sharp thing, but this is what was uh, one, uh, yet another controversy going on in Italy at this time. Okay, Akopanim, his brother, Rabdavi Provenzalio, who we now know was one of the great Darshanim and Chashiv Talmud Chacham at that period of time, which also we knew nothing about him. Two years ago, Professor Yaakov Spiegel publishes from manuscript a massive workers on Mesechtus Avis. Also, he's on the side of his brother, and some other Talmidim on the side, Talmidim Chacham on the side of the brother. And the point is that the brother sides with this Shmuel, and it's, as he documents it out all over in these um, Chiburim, and he wrote a small Chibur also on this thing. I'm going to mention very briefly, because I'm trying to keep this um, short as sweet, as they say. So I'm going to mention just a few quotes, a few different quotes, and discuss a little bit about this uh, um, to come to the conclusions. Okay, like this. Number one. I said that the G'daylim, not only in Italy, got involved. So there's a famous Truva Sefer, the Mabit. Mabit, one of the G'dayli Hadar, our Plukta of the Beis Yosef, one of the Mamish, unbelievable Yid. He gets this question and he says, he's Mamish, again, he's on the side of Yosef Tamari. Fine. And you see what he had was the documents that Tamari and also the, the Srib Shmuel published. Fine. He says he has no idea how anyone could say the get is not a good get. So to the Marjdam, vicious chuva, pages and pages, something like 15, 16 pages, two chuvas devoted to the topic. Also, the get is a good get. So to his contemporary, the Divay Revoice. These are all Gedolim, which maybe one day we'll, we'll try to elaborate more about who these are. So what happens is the Radvaz, another one of the Gedolim had at this time. So not only do we have the the Italian Gedolim, I would say a large percentage, most of the percentage of the Tamidi Chachamim in Italy are siding like Yosef Tamari. So even though we made him sound like a little whatever with the, you know, not kosher v'yosher with the um, Ramah, but as I said, Chirims came and went in those days. So the point is that a lot of Gedolim were on the side. Most of the Gedolim seem to have been on the side 
of that the get is a good get. I was forced. No, it, it, and they deal with that at length. That it's not considered what he's saying is not true, and it's not a problem. Now, the point is that it gets to the Bezdin of who the Beis Yosef, and from what we're able to tell, the Beis Yosef's Bezdin does agree with that the get is not a get. Ramesha Provencali, who reads through all the documents, who speaks with this Shmuel fellow a long time, and is familiar with all the people firsthand living in Italy, he feels very strong that this is not a good get. Okay, now. Are you going to discuss a little bit why he's claiming it was a forced get? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, it's way too complicated to explain because we have to first background is the, what the Gemaras and the Rambams and what the Psak Halacha is about it. And then we would have to see how it all plays out. It would end up being very technical. And I, and I do have some Rachmanis on, on the audience. But that, that's part of what, and, it's, and also it's a very complex sugya arayoyim, so I, I like to stay away from the things. I don't want to get myself in trouble. But what, what I will say is as follows, a few, very, a few very brief points. Number one is like this. So Ramesha Provencali, the Beis Yosef, Bezdin, it seems also sorry like this fellow. How did this fight take place? I said there was Chabramim going on. There's another thing that's going on. It's called broadsides. I said that that um, what happens is that besides for publishing Svarim, where Yosef Tamari publishes one, Shmuel publishes three Svarim in a period of a year where he gets all the chuvas and explains everything, there's also Kalkairis and Pachkavilim that go up. So in the olden days, and it still exists, there's something called a broadside. What's a broadside? So I refer to the book, The Writing of the Wall, a catalog of Judaica broadsides from the Valmadana Trust Library. So it gives an introduction. What's a broadside is basically a document, usually one side, which the idea was, that's how people found out about everything. You get a, a paper in shul that says there's a sale. That's a broadside. Now, the broadside in those days was also, if let's say something big is happening. So he, so Shmuel paid for broadsides to be put up all over places in Italy that my shver, or supposed to be shver, came out against me and he's making... And, it's going Lebedic. Now, what happens is this is how people get a bad name. This is Mamish the internet of those days. So this Shmuel put up a bunch of these broadsides. This is the modern day Pachkevilim. Right? People think the Pachkevilim is only a thing in Yerushalayim. The answer is no. Way, way back they were doing this technology based on, because the printing press was alive and well in those days. This is one way how they fought. So another way they fought, we mentioned already, was Haramim. Another way was it's called Bittal Hatamid. When you learn through these documents, you'll see that there's constantly being referred to Bittal Hatamid. What's Bittal Hatamid? So Bittal Hatamid means that in Shul, again, they wanted to say, to emphasize this person is in Kherim. So they would stop. A lot of times they would do it right before the Kriya Satayra. People want to get going. They want to, let's say, shab, um, from during the week, Monday and Thursday, before the lading, Bittal Hatamid. I'm not moving to here. I'm not letting you begin lading until you give me money. Or I'm not moving here until you put, Rabbi, until you put this Pliny into Cherim. This is what was done in the Middle Ages. We have tons and tons of documentation about this. This is when people had tightness in little shtetlach. Also, this is what they would do. So this also, in these documents, we see this was also done on both sides. We'll go to different kihilis, to the big shuls, and it will be against the Gedolim and the Rabbanim and the people. But Kitzer, as I said, this is mamish um, tumbling and tutzaching at this period of time. Okay, now, another factor that comes over here is, I said, our kais. Gaisha courts get involved, what's going on over here. So this is a, a tremendous topic in its own right. 
which again is way above my pay grade. It's a whole sugya that's kedai from this sugya when we get to areas in Nezikin to learn more about it, what's behind it, because that also plays out in these sugyas. Is there ever a hetter? And we see Lamashal, this Rav who gave Drushus, who's one of the Gedalim against the, who's pro the get, who's against Ramesha Provencali, he gives a whole drusha how terrible Yidin are going to Arkais. In the case of his, this Yaisa Tamari, who he's siding with, he also went to Arkayus Gantz in the middle of this thing. Okay, anyway, another factor that comes in over here is there's a Cherem of Rabbeinu Tam. What does that mean? Rabbeinu Tam held that once a get is given, you cannot be Ma'ar on the get. This is a Cherem Rabbeinu Tam. We have it from today, we have it in the Sefer Yasha Rabbeinu Tam. The Paiskim knew about this. It's not clear exactly when it gets accepted, but by the time this generation, the Marik, the Rama, they're all handling it, they're trying to understand it. When is it applicable? So basically like this. If, let's say, Adam Gadol says that the get is not a good get and he doesn't know anything, that, that's the question, is that we are Rabbeinu Tam says his rule. But the point is that even that, the, the Rabbeinu Tam's takana against people with um, using a get, um, it's coming out against the get after it gets given, the the churva that it could happen, and when exactly Rabbeinu Tam meant it, would it apply to this case of this where this Shmuel says that my get is not a get and I never intended to give her a get? So that also is a deal in the Paiskim over here. And certain Paiskim say that this Shmuel fellow is being over the chayim of Rabbeinu Tam, whereas others say no. If you understand when Rabbeinu Tam said it, then you understand the Marik, and you understand what the Ramah, how he learns it up. It's not so simple that it's a problem. Okay, one last Nakuda, which relates to Arkais, which relates to the Bezdin, which relates to how the whole thing was given. There's something called arbitrators in Halacha, which also relates to that in this story, that they were also involved, which also one has to understand the Bezdin process in Italy at the time, which Reuven Bumfield deals with at length in his book on this Gufa. And the point is, it also plays out in the Paiskim. When they're handling the various chuvas, you have to understand the hilchus of how that works. So what I'm saying is like this, to sum it all up. This was a get that was given finally after it's given. After all the back and forth. Tons and tons of documentation. And a lot of side topics come up in the sugya that play out that needs to be clarified properly, needs to be understood when Malashalis Rabbeinu Tam is one sugya. The, the story of a foresket is another sugya that plays out of here. And as I listed out a few others of, of the different Hilchai Saget, I, I watered it down, taking away um, not to make it as concise without getting into the nitty-gritty because it's very complex. But the point is, this get at that time was a caused unbelievable controversy. We don't even know the end of the story, what happened with all the characters, um, but what we do know is that today we're able to learn from the materials in this sugya to help us understand certain aspects in Gitten and give us a little bit, you know, some, as they say, when you're learning Gitten, see that it came up, it comes up, and we'll see that with the future episodes also, this is what took place in the 1560s in Italy. Amazing. I think the biggest takeaway for me is that it can be something that happens from two random people where you have so many, so many Gedolim that are involved and you could not know what's going on. And then you learn little bits and pieces to try to piece it together. And, and you can learn so much today, like you said, much more in the Sugya, in the actual Sugya, 
But the story is a fascinating one. Thank you very much. You want to quickly turn around and pull out a safer to introduce? Yeah, one second. Let's pull out one safer. Okay. Okay, so this safer is called Shmabini, Volume 1. It looks like this. Fine. What is it? It's a safer, Volume 1, 766 pages and an index. Published by who? Ayid. Rebbe Yamin Lubin, who's the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva's Tarez Chaim in Miami. Chafetz Chaim. A tremendous Talmud of the Chafetz Chaim Yeshivas, Rosh Yeshivas of Chafetz Chaim. Anyway, this is a Sefer, not your typical Sefer. It's called Anhagais Vadrachais from the Ga'inim. Rameir Chadash, Rabdov Katz, Rabbi Tzim Brook, Rameir Chatzukerman, Rav Zaydel Epstein, Rav Yosef Kain, and Rabbi Lezel Plachinsky. Basically, when he was in Eretz Yisrael over the years, way back before he became Rosh Hashiva, he would speak to all these different G'daylam about all the types of questions that people find interesting, especially questions about Musr, um, the Slabotka method, all the uh, Kel method, and he would speak to all these different G'daylam and he would get a lot of information from them. This recently just, Mamish came out a few weeks ago, and full of hundreds of footnotes of materials that he had, that he heard, that he heard from his Rosh Hashivas, full of fascinating people that want to have a glimpse from first-hand sources, from great G'daylam, uh, who some of them even who had messiahs from Europe about the yeshiva world, especially relating with Musser. This is a, a fascinating book. You meet about G'daylam, with the Vesalevi, the Chazanish, all different things from tam, some of the people who Tamid and the Chazanish, but you get to see a lot about Europe, Musser, and all different Das Taira and Yanim in this work. I, I found it fascinating. I obviously did not go through the whole thing at this time, but it just came out. Thank you very much. And if Eliezer Brothers is recommending a book that came out within the last uh, few weeks, it must be a fascinating book. Once again, thank you very, very much for the sponsor, We are looking forward. This is the first of the four controversies we're going to talk about. Looking forward to the next three. Have a wonderful day.